cause and effect. Cause and effect. If it weren't for cause and effect, we wouldn't have country music to entertain us. If his pickup truck hadn't broken down and his dog hadn't died, he would have nothing to sing about. If he hadn't cheated on her, she would not have dug her key into the side of his pretty little souped-up four-wheel drive. She would have carved her name into his leather seat, but she did. Cause and effect. We have a much better song to consider this morning. But it too is a simple song. It is a simple song of cause and effect. And it's a song not to entertain us, but it's a song that as we read it will change our hearts and transform our lives. God did something. He caused something to happen in the life of the man who wrote this song. And the man was powerfully affected by it, and so he wrote this song about it. I don't know what effect it has on you when God does something in your life, when he works in your life, when there is a God cause in your life. I don't know what it produces in you. But I know this, after reading this song and its words, I know the effect that I want the work of God to produce in my life, in your life. And I want us to consider what that is together as we look at Psalm 116. So if you have your Bibles open, I want to ask you to stand as we hear read together the word of the living God from Psalm chapter 116, beginning in verse 1. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came upon me. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the simple-hearted. When I was in great need, he saved me. Be at rest once more, O my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, O Lord, have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, therefore I said, I am greatly afflicted. And in my dismay I said, all men are liars. How can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows before him in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you again for your spirit. Father, may he work in our hearts now to open the eyes of our hearts, to see all the, the God causes in our lives, all the things that you do in us and through us. Father, we pray that your spirit would produce the effect that's pleasing to you as we live our lives and walk our lives before you. Do this in us and through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. We do not know who wrote this psalm. We are not told his name. But the name of the man who wrote it isn't important. What is important is the experience that this man had with God. 
at this very specific moment in his life, a truth that had been resting here in his mind, a a, a truth that had been dormant, was shaken awake. And that truth got up, it dressed itself in this beautiful experience that this man had with God, and it went down. It went down from his mind, and it invaded his heart, and it changed his life. The psalmist, whoever he was, knew that he could pray. That was the truth. He believed that he should pray, and so he did pray. And as we look in this psalm, we see that the name that he uses to address God is the covenant name that Israel used. So we know that this man knew the truth of the covenant relationship that existed between Israel and God. He was their God. They were his people. How often this man prayed, we don't know. How often he thought about the covenant relationship that he had with the Lord, we don't know. And perhaps he prayed now at this moment in his life. And perhaps he called on this covenant relationship that he had with the Lord because there was absolutely nothing left for him to do. You heard, as I read, uh, there was trouble in this man's life. And we don't know what that trouble was, but it overwhelmed him. You know, a man is in trouble when a grown man is reduced to tears. Men just don't cry. This man cried. His trouble, his anguish was so great. He looked around him, even among his friends, those he called friends, even among his family members, he saw no one. There was no one that he could trust. No one in his life, he felt, in whom he could confide. So hopeless was he in finding help from any person, and so bitter was he, and so in dismay that no one was there to help, that he said in verse 11, all men, not some, all men are liars. He'd given up. In addition to that, he thought that he was about to die. He could feel the cords of death wrapping around him. Certainly at some point in his life, this man had peered into a cold grave or a cold tomb. And now he was overcome with anguish at the thought that it would soon be his dead body that was covered in the grave or sealed behind a stone. That's what this man believed. And so it drove him to do all that he knew to do, and that is to pray. What effect he thought praying would have before he prayed, we don't know. But the effect of that prayer, that's what this song is all about. He prayed to the Lord, and the Lord heard his voice. The Lord heard his cry for mercy. And this is how the psalmist experienced it. Look in verse 2. He says, the Lord turned, the Lord inclined his ear to me. And this is a picture that we have seen a hundred times. A man lies dying. His friend that's with him leans over and he he puts his ear right to the mouth of his dying friend because he doesn't want to miss one word that this dying man is trying to say. He doesn't want to miss one whisper coming from his mouth. Well, that's how the psalmist describes what the Lord did for him. The Lord came to him in his agony, his dismay, His anguish, as he thought his life was about to end, the Lord leaned his ear right up to his mouth and listened to every single word that this man prayed. And the Lord answered him. The Lord helped him. The Lord delivered him. The Lord delivered him so that this man walked away from the edge of that grave without a falter, without a stumble, without a tear in his eye because he left all his sorrows and all his troubles in a pile 
beside that grave. That's the cause. That's the cause. The Lord listened and the Lord delivered. And now what's the effect? Look in verse 1. I love the Lord. I love the Lord. This man isn't afraid to feel it. This man isn't ashamed to sing it. I love the Lord. Maybe once he would have said, I know the Lord. Maybe once he would have said, I fear, I, I, I reverence the Lord. Maybe once he would have said, I serve the Lord. But now look what this man says. I love the Lord. Cause and effect. The Lord delivered him. He loved the Lord. And once he had experienced the reality of what it meant to be in this kind of a relationship with the Lord, to talk to the Lord, to have the Lord answer him, he couldn't give it up. He couldn't live without it. Look again in verse 2. He says, Because he has turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. And so here is a second effect in the life of this man. It's no longer only when he needs something, only when he's in distress, only when he's in great need, only when he's having a near-death experience that he's going to call on the Lord. No. Now the man says, I will call on the Lord as long as I live. He is addicted. If I let myself, I could easily become addicted to chocolate. Particularly the chocolate pudding they serve at Hominy Grill. And y'all know I've talked about that before. Kathy is more disciplined than I am about the chocolate pudding. While I'm sitting there devouring mine, she takes one bite and puts her spoon down. And she says, Craig, you know... It never gets any better than the first bite. And that's absolutely true. It never gets better than the first bite. Every single bite of that pudding that I take tastes exactly like the bite before it. And when it's placed in front of me, it's not like I'm hungry. I've just finished an entire meal. But one bite is not enough. And so I eat and I eat and I eat until I devour my whole portion of pudding. And then I look around for for anybody who might have left some in theirs to eat theirs too because I can't get enough of it. That's what the psalmist is saying here. He can't get enough of it. A God who, who bends down to listen. A God who answers. A God who delivers. One experience, one conversation with a God like this is not enough. But That's who the Lord is. Bite after bite, always the same, always listening, always hearing. David had the same experience with the Lord. Psalm 34, he says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angels of the Lord encamps, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. That was David's experience. And then he calls out to everyone who's listening. Or to everyone who is singing the song that he wrote. And he says this. Oh, taste and see. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Once you've experienced it. Once you have tasted of the goodness and the closeness of the Lord. You'll be addicted. You won't be able to give it up. Jesus had the same experience with the Lord. He stood at the tomb of his friend Lazarus who had just died. And Jesus looked up to heaven and he said, Father, thank you for hearing me. Thank you that you always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here, so they will believe you sent me. And then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus came out. The father heard, the father answered. 
And Jesus said it in a loud voice so that everyone within earshot would know that the Lord is listening, always listening, always hearing. David said it out loud. The psalmist said it out loud. Jesus said it so we could hear it. The Lord hears and the Lord answers. Therefore, says the psalmist, as long as I live, as long as I live, I will call on the Lord. This is a life of, that's committed to live in communion with the Lord. It's what the psalmist is describing, a life committed to live in communion with the Lord. Where is that commitment in your life? Perhaps this is a truth that is resting in your mind. You know up there somewhere that you can have communion with the Lord, but it's dormant. And for some of you, maybe it's in hibernation right now. But that truth needs to be shaken awake so that that truth gets up and and dresses itself and goes down and invades your heart and changes your life. The truth that the Lord listens, not distractedly. He pays attention and hears every word. That's the testimony of person after person after person. Talk with the Lord. Commune with the Lord. Let this encourage you. Isaiah 65. God promises, before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. Isn't that awesome? Knowing that the Lord bends his ear to us, knowing that he listens, what will you say to him? What is it that you will say to the Lord who is listening to you? If you have requests, go ahead and make them. The Lord permits that. Actually, the Lord commands that. He tells us not not to worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Present your requests to Him. And thank Him for what He's done. That's what He tells us to do. But after you've done that, after you've made all your requests, what else do you have to say to the Lord? You know, if you see a couple at the breakfast table, and they're sitting silently behind their favorite section of the paper, and they're sipping their coffee, And they lower their paper only on occasion to ask, Oh, by the way, did you remember to dot, dot, dot? Oh, yeah, and and don't forget to dot, dot, dot. Oh, and remember that tonight we have to go to dot, dot, dot. What might you conclude? You might wonder why there's nothing left to talk about after the list of duties and obligations and have-to-get-dones are spoken. If you go out that night to a restaurant and you see that same couple and they're sitting at a table near you and throughout the course of the whole dinner they barely speak a word to one another, what might you conclude? You would wonder, why is it that they have nothing to say to each other? You might probably conclude that there's something not right in their relationship. For some reason they don't seem to enjoy each other. You might even wonder if this couple truly loves one another. See, the heart that loves God, keeps praying, even after the requests have been made, even after the requests have been granted. The heart that loves God keeps praying. Because if you have nothing left to say to the Lord, who loves you, and who gave his life for you after you finished with your requests, why not? Why is there nothing left to say? And, and that's not a question to produce guilt in you or in me. It's really a question of grace and mercy 
if we actually answer it because it causes us to evaluate our relationship with the Lord. How real is your love for the Lord? That's what God wants. He wants reality and he wants authenticity. God does not want a facade of faith. He doesn't. He doesn't want it. Can you flip over to Isaiah chapter 1 if you have your Bible still open? So Isaiah, it's the first chapter. And God says this in in verse 12 of chapter 1. He says, When you come to worship me, who asked you to parade through my courts with all your ceremony? Stop bringing me your meaningless gifts. And that word meaningless means empty, false, nothing, a lie. The worshipers were coming into the house of the Lord to, to worship him in their hand was something. It was a gift. But they didn't bring that gift in love. And so whatever it was in their hand that you could see and that you could touch, God says it's nothing. It's empty. It's a lie. It's, it's, it means nothing to me. Stop bringing it. Because the gift was not the effect of a God cause. Because the gift was not a response given by, by the giver to, to the goodness of God that, that should have overwhelmed them. And so God doesn't want it. Keep looking. Now in verse 15, because God doesn't want guilt-driven, duty-driven prayers either. I'm reading from the New Living Standard, but God says the New Living Translation. Verse 15, when you spread out your hands in prayer, I'll hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourself clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. See what God does here? He just wipes away, sweeps away all hypocrisy, all pretense, all hidden sin so that he can get real with the people, real with the gospel, even here in the Old Testament. Look, says God, you have a problem. You are completely stained by sin. A crimson stain, a scarlet stain. It's so bright you can't hide it. Everyone can see it. A stain that the best The best launderer could do for you is maybe turn it into some shade of pink, but he's not going to get rid of it. It's a stain that you can't get rid of. Only I can help you, says God, with your sin problem, and I will. Listen to the good news. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be. They shall be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. The Lord deals with our sin. That's reason to love the Lord. He gets us past the burden and the guilt of sin and all the pretense and all the hypocrisy that leaves everyone empty because we all know that it's not real anyway and brings us into relationship with him. And that's reason to love the Lord. How he accomplished it, how he took care of our sin is reason to love the Lord. In order to make that happen, he had to do something. And you know the story. He had to leave heaven and come to earth. He had to be despised. He had to be rejected. He had to be a man of sorrow. He had to be introduced to and get acquainted with grief because he had never known it before. He who knew no sin, who never committed a sin in his life, had to become sin for us. And he did that for you 
and for me. What do we owe the Lord for what He has done for us? You are chosen by God to be His son or His daughter. Before God created the universe or anything in it, before any of that happened, He called you to be His own. Jesus has called you His friend. God has set His mark of ownership on you and me saying, this one is mine. And that seal, that mark, is the Holy Spirit. And surely He will not forget or abandon you. I love the verse to Him, How Firm a Foundation, that says, The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to its foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. That's the Lord. Surely He will come for you. Because the Spirit He has placed in us is only a guarantee of what awaits us. God has decreed that you are His forever. Is that good news? Why should it be so? Why should He want me? Why should He want you? What did I do to deserve it? Nothing. Nothing. His love caused Him to do it. And if the Lord never again, in your life or my life, answered any of our prayers in a way that we would like Him to answer them, this deliverance that He has already accomplished for you is reason to love Him for the rest of your life. Do you believe that? His cause must produce an effect in us. And the effect should be love, just like the psalmist. I love the Lord. Not just, I know the Lord. Many say, I know the Lord. But the Lord says, I never knew you. Many say, I serve the Lord. Oh, Lord, I serve you. I did this in your name and that in your name and this and this and this and that in your name. The Lord said, I never knew you. Not just fear the Lord. Oh, Lord, I have such a reverence for you. I've protected worship for all of my life. Made sure none of that contemporary music was in the house. Lord, no, 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 Lord. Lord, I reverence you. The demons reverence the Lord. They shudder at the thought of the triune God. No, it's not enough. I love the Lord. Cause and effect. I love the Lord, for He heard my voice. Cause and effect. For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son. Cause and effect. We love because He first loved us. God is the first cause. Our confession The Westminster Confession of Faith says that through God, the first cause, all things come to pass immutably and infallibly. James reminds us in chapter 1, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. And so what are those causes in your life? You need to look for them. What is it that God has done for you? And where are the effects? What is the goodness of God and the blessing of the Lord in your life done in you? You know, sometimes when I talk to people who don't know the Lord, they ask me, why does God demand praise and glory? They've said this to me. I don't want to believe in a narcissistic God who would demand that everybody love Him. Love me, love me, love me. I don't want to believe in a God like that. And I've heard that more than once. But here's the truth. 
God doesn't need anything. He is complete and perfect in and of himself. He doesn't have to look outside of himself for anything. The theological word we use for that is aseity. The aseity of God. He is perfect and complete in and of himself. He doesn't need your praise. He doesn't need your worship. He doesn't need your love. Your body needs food to keep going. Your car needs gas to keep going. But God doesn't need anything from us to strengthen him or sustain him. He doesn't. He just is perfect and complete in and of himself. And God knows the truth about himself. God knows the light in which he dwells, that perfect, glorious light. There's not even a hint, not even a shade of a shadow or darkness in the light where God dwells. None of that. God knows that his essence is love. God is love. That's what Scripture tells us. God is love. It's his essence. Perfect love. It's a love that's not jaded in any way. It has no hidden agenda. The only motive that his love that his love seeks is his love. And so why would the Lord not want us to be in a loving relationship with him and to share in the essence? You and I get to share in the essence of who God is. To draw from it. To be sustained by it. Yes, God wants our love, but he wants it for our own good. Because he knows the benefits that come to you and me from praising him and worshiping him and praying to him and loving him. And he wants us to know those blessings. And so I tell the person who says that they will not believe in some narcissistic God who demands love and worship, that they are welcome to cut off their nose to spite their face. God is not diminished in the least bit by not receiving their love or their praise or their worship. But they, on the other hand, are not only diminished by their lack of love for God, they are headed for destruction. All to spite God. We love because he first loved us. Cause is love. The effect is the same. And when you love God like the psalmist loves, when he says, I love the Lord, your life will change. It will. When you love God this way. Because your love for God becomes the hub of your existence. Everything else are spokes that radiate out from that hub in your life, your love for God. And so those relationships that bother you, that you worry about so much in your life, you love God. You say, I love the Lord. And watch how those relationships change. Because the love that God has for you and you have for God, that's going to spill over into every other relationship in your life. The goals that you worry about, that you set for yourselves, the, the, the aims that you hope to reach, you love God. Make that the hub of your life and watch how those change, how they fall into place, secondary to loving God and being loved by Him. What we hope to accomplish together as a church to see things like people come to faith in Christ, you know, to profess their faith in Him, to, to take the message of the gospel not just to Uganda, but to country after country after country. Imagine. What can a group of people accomplish? What can't they accomplish? When together we are loving the Lord, being strengthened by his love, transformed by his love, and sustained by his love. Our God is great. Our God is glorious. Our God is gracious. Our God is good. He loves us, and he is our God to love in return. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you again for... 
who you are, the essence of your being, it's love. Father, we thank you for the testimony of your saints, for the testimony of this psalmist. He cried out to you, Lord, and you answered him and you delivered him. No wonder he was overwhelmed with love for you. No wonder he committed to live the rest of his life, the rest of his life for you, loving you and in your presence. David, on and on go the testimonies, Lord, of your people. And I pray that it would not just be the testimony of others that we tell and retell, but that would be our own stories, Lord. Our own stories of what you have done in our lives and how what you have caused has produced this wonderful effect in us. That we love you, Lord, not just for what we can get from you, not just because of what you will do for us, but we love you, Lord, just because you are worthy of our love. Such a great and good and glorious God. So, Father, we pray that your spirit would cause this effect. Lord, we know we can't do it on our own because if we try to produce it on our own, it will be fake. It will be meaningless. It will be empty, and that's not what you want. So, Lord, we pray that your spirit would open our eyes to see your work in our lives and that your spirit would touch our hearts, Lord, so that our response to you and your love is to love you back. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.